meditation, I'd like to turn to a very familiar chapter, the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 6. This is a part of a the Sermon on the Mount and, and its, uh, its, its outworkings in another place. He's on a plane, and so it could be that uh, it was a, an, two sermons abridged into one. And I'd like to read the, the beginning half of this chapter with you. Christ says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms might, may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, Enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your, heaven, your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. I've read until the 18th verse. Let's kneel for prayer. As I said this morning, 
This is a very familiar chapter, I think, to all. Even those who have not stepped inside of a church, maybe ever, might be able to repeat some of these verses word for word. I found it interesting uh, back uh, about a month ago or so, at, at, or it was in March, uh, at the OMEC meeting, Brother Ed shared a, um, a presentation on a, a project, a, um, an effort that they're making there to be involved in, in ministry with addicts, with people that are coming out of addiction. There's a large program in the Windsor area that uh, helps uh, uh, men and women with, with addiction and difficulty to come out of that, uh, that lifestyle. And they do it through preaching of the gospel of Christ. And so Brother Ed and some others there go to share the gospel. And he said one thing that they do is they finish every service with the Lord's Prayer. And they use a, a simplified translation to speak to people for the service. But it's interesting, when they get to the Lord's Prayer, it's these old words from the King James Version that, are, that were first uh, translated in this particular way over 400 years ago now. And they've been <clears throat> a uh, comfort and a touchstone in the English language something that people can come back to in times of difficulty and trial. I feel like I've been learning a lot about prayer lately. I've been going through some uncertainties <clears throat> myself with uh, uh, career and looking at other options. I'm not sure exactly what the Lord has in, plan for, uh, in, in store for me as, uh, in, the, in the next while. But as I've been praying about these things, you know, it's natural that I think that anxieties and, and fears arise and the stresses and the difficulties of life and the questions of the future, those that have been entrusted to my care, come up. And so I've been reading scripture on prayer and thinking about these things and though I have not yet come to any conclusion, I, I have learned some things I think in a real and practical way. I'd like to share a little bit of it with you. <clears throat> it's interesting that Christ starts this, cha this chapter talking about alms deeds, charitable contributions, char works of charity. How we live and the generosity with which we show to others is a mark of our connection to our Heavenly Father because we have been given Him being given by him all things first. We have nothing that we call our own that was not given to us. Though people may say, uh, well, it's my, it's my brains, it's my work ethic, it's my entrepreneurial spirit that has got me this position. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Behold this great Babylon which I've created, which I've built for my glory. And at that moment, the Lord said to him, thy kingdom is taken from thee. And he lost his mind. Where would you be without that? Without your mind. You know, pride, human pride is a madness, an insanity. 
And I don't think it's an accident that when Nebuchadnezzar rediscovered humility, God gave him back his mind. That's when he was in his right mind. It's been said before that anger gets us in trouble, but it's pride that keeps us there. And so how we deal with others is an accurate reflection now of our understanding of the Heavenly Father. There was a quote I heard years ago, and I think it's so true. The most important thing about us is what we think about God. If you think God can be manipulated or bribed or bought with your alms deeds, with your charity, you have a completely warped perception of who God is. It's interesting that, God, that Christ focuses so many times on others, what others see us do, how others react to what we do. And you've heard me say it before, and I'm sure I'll say it many more times as the Lord gives me life and breath. <clears throat> if you look to others for your validation, you will not be able to believe. Christ himself said that. Ye that seek honor one of another, how can ye believe? He was talking to the Pharisees. So as long as you're looking around at what other people think of you, and you're afraid of being thought less by others because of a faith in Christ, don't worry about faith because you won't receive it. You will not be able to believe. And so Christ focuses on that. Those that look to others, those that look to others, they won't receive anything from their father. And if God doesn't give it to you, who are you going to get it from? What will you do? I don't say that to be harsh. I say that only to outline what Christ himself is saying for you so that you would realize it. Those that are ashamed of Christ, Christ himself says he will be ashamed of them before his father. He will not recognize them. Then he turns to prayer in verse 5. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. This is the ugly face of self-righteous religion. It was said before that of all the sports and games men and women play, religion is the biggest one. They gather together to hear tantalizing speakers uh, that can tickle their, uh, their emotions and, and, and inspire their minds. They learn to use polished phrases and toss around ideas, complex philosophies, and we applaud their skill and their abilities. But, like from a sporting match, at the end of it, Everybody goes home, and nobody's any different. May that never be true of us. May we be willing to speak the truth in a transparent way, to share our burdens, to share our joys, to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with them that rejoice, to visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction, and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. In that way, the world will know and see that we are his disciples.
But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Think about that for a moment. God asks us to approach him in faith, unseeing. That poses a difficulty for some. But here's the thing. God, in making us in his image, gave us a choice, the ability to choose. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to touch on that a little later in this chapter. The ability to choose, to exercise a will. Those that are in the presence of God, that see him in his fullness, their will crumbles before the will of the one who created all. Read what happens when mortal men found themselves in the presence of Almighty God. But it delighted God because he loved us and wanted us to love him in return to hide himself for a while from us that we would learn to use our will for his will. Because that would be best for us, not because God is some sort of egomaniac that delights in manipulating people. It can be no other way. And for those that say, I won't believe him until I see him, when you see him, it will be too late for you. It will be too late. Christ himself said to the Pharisees, you will seek me and you won't be able to find me. And you will die in your sins. You will be separated from God in your sins. When you realize you need a Savior, when you pass from this world into the next and you have not found one, it will be too late. You will have that knowledge and you won't be able to do anything about it. But now, now is the time for faith. Shut the door and pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Do you believe that? I'm starting to believe it a little bit more. As I work through these things, God gives me day by day little things, little encouragements. A word from scripture, a word from a devotional, the words of a hymn, a conversation with someone. that helps me, that lifts me up, that's a further little proof that God is listening, God hears, and he has not left me alone. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. It's ironic that in this very chapter this, that the Lord's prayer is contained, this verse is written. Some people take the words of the Lord and words of prayer and use them like some kind of a magic talisman that if I say this enough, I'm going to somehow have weight in heaven. God's going to bend things to my will. The words are only a pattern. And the pattern is meant to change the heart. It was mentioned already in the prayer that the Lord knows ahead of time what we're going to ask him. And so you may ask yourself, what is the point of prayer? If God simply knows it all, what is the point of prayer? 
It's the same reason that we need to have faith to believe if we're to come to Him. It's for our benefit. Prayer changes us. You know, I've had a discussion before, and maybe someone will be upset with me with this conclusion, but I can find no other answer in Scripture. I don't believe prayer changes God. I don't believe that. You can fight with me about it afterwards if you like. But I don't believe prayer changes God. I believe prayer changes us. And when the scripture uses the language like the Lord repented and he turned or he had pity, he had mercy, that was only so that we could understand him. Because our will is manifest in time and God's will is outside of time. So it's necessary that we change. He's perfect. If we were to really believe that God repents, that he changes, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done that, that would indicate that there is lack in God. There is something missing in him. He didn't know something before. He knows something now, and so he changes his course of action. God is not a man. Here's a simple rule for you. If you're thinking about God, if you can think it, it's probably not true because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his, are, his ways are past our ways. We're given little hints, little clues, but we can't put all of those pieces together, and so we can only hang on to those little things that he says about himself, the ways that he reveals himself and say, this is true, and this is true, and this is true, and this is true, but I don't yet see the full picture. And so I will not dare make assumptions about God and his nature where he has been silent. That's so important. That's being like a little child. A man wants to put it all together, wrap it in a nice package, and present it for his own aggrandizement, for his own ego, to show that he knows something now. But God says, no, I give you this, and I give you this, and I give you this. And it's so ironic, the children, you know, often you have to periodically turn out the the pockets of their coats because they collect all sorts of little bits and pieces of junk. Why are you hanging on to these things? Well, God wants us to be like that with him, to hang on to these little things, these little promises, these assurances that he gives us. They're precious to the child. He has not become sophisticated or she has not become sophisticated enough to realize that they're just little bits and pieces. Of course, one day we will get rid of them. One day we will see him as he is. And then all those questions will be answered and those clues will not be needed because we have arrived. And I long for that day. But for now, I'm only given a part. And I need to be careful what I do with what I've been given. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want you to notice something there. It begins with our, not my. Not my father, our father. I am no more and no less than one of the sheep of his pasture. One of the 100. Perhaps I'm the one that went astray. Perhaps I'm one with the 90 and 9. But I'm one of his. And so I cannot wander off on my own and expect the Lord to lead me in that way. I need to be connected to a body. We have a corporate father. We call ourselves brother, sister. And we do well. The Lord himself told us to do that. But we all have one father. And so when we pray, we must be always conscious of the fact that we are not alone. 
in this world. Not only has he given us his spirit, which was better than the presence of the Lord himself, physically, but he's also given us the church. And those that stay away from it harm themselves. You don't gain free time by missing church. You injure yourself where you can afford it least. Why do we need church? Because you don't know your own blind spots. I've seen them in myself now as the Lord's been working these things through. He showed me things that I didn't realize about myself. And maybe in future sermons we'll touch on some of those things so that maybe someone, maybe someone here can benefit from my mistakes and the things that I've done wrong. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And for those that would like to cling to a doctrine that I do not find in Scripture, that of irresistible grace, this verse seems to indicate to me very clearly that I can prevent God's kingdom from coming here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In heaven it's perfect. The Father speaks and all creation falls in line. But here, here we have choice. Here we have the opportunity to exercise our will. And our will matters. And our will must be constantly subjected to the Father. Look at Christ himself. Come from the Father down to earth, and yet he had to pray, Thy will be done, not my will. If that doesn't make it clear for us, I don't know what will. I didn't mean to make a pun there. But... The will of God and doing his will. His his will is to make our will his, and in finding that, we will find the ultimate expression of our will, our good. By putting that all together. Give us this day our daily bread. Not weekly bread. Not monthly bread. Not yearly bread bread. Daily. Daily bread. The Lord God only gave enough manna to the children of Israel for one day. The one exception of that was on the on the Friday before the Sabbath when he gave enough for two days and then it kept. But if they took on those other days, it spoiled. What a what an amazing picture. We're only given one day at a time, and God provides only for one day at a time. So we need to be so careful that we don't get caught up in the things of the world, thinking ahead too far. I do that to my own detriment. Try to look too far down the road and get overwhelmed. He said, I've only given you today. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We just had this on, in CFG. But the two servants and what they were forgiven. The one, an impossible debt. I worked it out. I have a bad memory for numbers, so you'll have to forgive me, but I think it was something like the equivalent of the debt that the 10,000 talents was the equivalent of 720 years of of labor. And And the servant had the audacity to say, have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything. How? It's laughable. And the Lord smiled and said, You don't owe me anything. But then, when that same servant turned around and took his fellow servant by the throat, and that was only about 100 days' wages that he owed him, 
he would not listen. He would not forgive. And then the Lord had to call that one to task and say, all right, now you owe me everything. And I'm going to lock you in prison until you can pay. And that debt was unpayable. Dare we carry unforgiveness with us? What a danger. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't say, lead us not into inconvenience, but deliver us from bad outcomes. Temptation. The Lord, the devil wishes to destroy us. The Lord only allows him so far that we may be tested and refined. And he's concerned with delivering us from evil. Not from things that would make us uncomfortable. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For thine is the kingdom, the coming kingdom, the power that will be revealed, the glory that will be ours. But all of these are future tense. All of these are for a time we have not yet seen. But do we believe him? Do we believe that there is coming a day when all that is bad and evil will be untrue? This is an expectation. This is a realization that things are not yet perfect here. But we depend on God who will one day make it all right. And by leaving that with God, we, we, we put that burden over onto him. We don't have to make this current world perfect because it won't be. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I don't understand much about those days, but I'm waiting for it. I'm looking forward to it. To finish out the section that we've read, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I mentioned that already. Then it moves into fasting. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. You know, when you're going through difficult things in life, I'm sure others that have gone through way worse than I have, and I, I don't stand here to somehow say that I'm I can even be compared to some of the suffering some of you have experienced. That's not my point. When things are bad, our appetite disappears. It's not easy to enjoy the things of this world sometimes. But we're encouraged. We're encouraged not to allow these things to overwhelm us. You see, later on in the chapter, there's talks about anxiety and so on. But Christ says, well, anoint your head, wash your face. There's a saying in the world, smile and everyone smiles with you. But frown and you frown alone. We are to be children of the highest and what is that based on? What is that reality? It was touched on in the Lord's Prayer. 
You see, one day, all of us here will have nothing but God. God will be the only thing that we have. Everything else will be stripped away, even our nearest relations, even our wives and husbands will be removed from us and we will have God alone. That prospect can either be terrifying or the greatest comfort that the words of God could afford to us to think that one day I will have him and him only. That's a big thought, but it's one that we should hold close and dear to us because when we allow things in between, we set up false gods We set up other things that we worship and then we're content to only give God perhaps a tenth. But to have him alone. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And that's not some magic formula for success in this world. I remember hearing a story once about a man, successful businessman who stood up and and was encouraged, or was speaking in front of a Christian group, and he said, you know, at one time in my life, things were going really difficult, and I decided that I was going to give everything I owned to God. So I, I gave all my possessions to God, and he blessed me, and look how successful I am today. And there was a voice from the back of the audience that said, I dare you to do it again. We like those happy endings with the worldly stories, don't we? We like the idea of the underdog winning. But what's the real, what's the real thing? What's the thing behind it all? That it's God and Him alone that we're seeking, not the things of this world. And to walk with Him in His ways, in His pathways. That's the greatest blessing of all. just like to conclude with a short poem. This is from a devotional that I have. It's dog-eared and tattered. It was first published, I think, in 1857. But the thoughts are pure gold. Listen to these words. He always wins who sides with God. To him, no chance is lost. God's will is sweetest to him when it triumphs at his cost. Ill that he blesses be our good, and unblessed good is ill, and all is right that seems most wrong if it be his sweet will. May God add whatever was said this morning. Amen. Would a brother please find him? Like the concluding hymn. I don't have much to add to the to the sermon except to say, Amen. You know, our children. I'm sure many of them, when they're with us as we pray, Amen is the favorite word for them to hear. That means it's done. They're over, they're off, they can go now and do what they want. But we know it, it means so much more. It means 
of a truth. May it be so. All the things that have been said, all the things that have been prayed, may it be so. Amen. Truly, truly. And that's my prayer as we conclude. I pray that our Father, the one that we all have as a common Father, would have been hallowed this morning. Not any games played, any pretend, any falseness, any show, but he would have been truly hallowed and made holy in our hearts. I pray that his kingdom would have come this morning. It would be a little clearer, a little closer to us. We'd see a little bit more clearly what matters in God's kingdom, not this world's. I pray that we would have been fed this morning, that we would have had the bread we need, that we were hungry for, that we realize this is the path that's ahead. I have sustenance now for it. I pray that we would have realized this morning how much we have been forgiven, and that would have changed our hearts a bit more, just to let go, to forgive, to let others off the hook. I pray that the evil that we see around us, the evil that may be encroaching, that may be getting a little closer this morning could have been made clear and God's power, his leading through temptation would have been a little clear this morning. And I pray that our eyes would have been opened to see his coming kingdom in power and glory that will reign forever and ever when there will be no more need of praying, when all prayers will be ceased, when we will have the glory of being in his presence forevermore. May we truly, every one of us, say this morning, Amen.